This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. And today our guest is KP Reddy, who is the founder and general partner at Shadow Ventures. Welcome, KP. Hey, Amy, thanks for having me. My pleasure, and there's a lot more than, than Shadow Ventures. You're also a best-selling author, and so we want to get to all of it. Uh, but I'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey to becoming a VC. Awesome. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a interesting and unu- it's, it's somewhat unusual, but um, so basically I'm a second-generation civil engineer, which um, that's not something they teach you in civil engineering school in terms of venture capital, but... I was super fortunate. My dad um, bought a computer when I was 13 and said, do something with it. So I started learning code and my first product was structural engineering analysis software for him. So taking all the stuff he did on paper and turning it into software uh, was kind of my first product. Um, It helps my mom's actually a, a, a software programmer too. So I was kind of like designed for this, so to speak. Um, so once Georgia Tech, um, worked as a traditional civil engineer, uh, other than I wanted to connect everything to a laptop and put a sensor on everything, which was really expensive. This is in 1994. So pretty expensive to do that kind of stuff and was still coding at night. And eventually, honestly, my, my side hustle was making more than my main hustle, uh, so to speak, because civil engineers are very well compensated, <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I started a company, um, was fo- focused on construction management on the web, launched in 1997. Within three months, uh, every general contractor told me the internet was a fad. Uh, fax machines were forever. Um, <laughs> friends were forever. And I was wasting my time and the internet was a toy. Um, so I pivoted and focused on telecom. And so construction management and uh, project management, you know, it's a little bit easy to pivot to that. And so we're very fortunate. We grew from 12 people to 1,200 people in three years and took it public. And it was very, very successful. So um, that was my first taste of scale, right? Like, oh, wow, like you can take a company from three, you know, two guys to 1,200 people in three years. Like, that's amazing, right? It's, it's a great ride. And I think as an entrepreneur, you're always looking for that you're looking for that ride once it's you a rush. It's a rush, right? right. <laughs> I mean, it's a three-year rush. <laughs> yeah. So I took some time off, built a company and, you know, started looking at BIM, almost invested in Revit Technology Corp. Other than I um, went on vacation and missed the opportunity and, um, you know, focused in on BIM because I really wanted to get back to my roots and do something in the kind of construction and engineering space and built a company and sold that in 2009. And so, you know, long story short, just kept starting companies. And then eventually, seven years ago, decided to, uh, at the time, was to retire. I was like, done, I'm done working. Um, And then started kind of investing, Um, ended up working at Georgia Tech, alma mater, and running their incubator. 
and was writing small checks. And then friends of mine wanted to write checks with me. And then honestly, all of a sudden, people in our industry started calling me saying, hey, I want to start getting involved with startups. Help us understand about innovation. Um, one of those first calls was a company called Thornton Tomasetti up in New York, big structural engineering firm. They're like, you know, this is like a cold call. Like, you're the only civil engineer we know that does startups and is investing. Can you help us start this incubator we're building? And then after that, I just started getting more calls from AEC firms asking for help. And then they wanted to start giving me money to invest. Um, so kind of decided, this only three years ago, decided I wanted to be a VC full time and, um, and not be retired and uh, <laughs> basically go to work. And so we're, you know, our firm's um, just over three years old and all we do is focus on the AEC space. Uh, I've got about six people to work for me. Uh, and we've been super fortunate to this day, all of our investors, um, most of them I've known for a very long time, about 70% of them are from the industry. So I'm still supporting the industry, so to speak, but from a little bit different angle. And it, it, it's, it's great. Like we wake up every day and we're super thrilled to be continue to stay in the industry, but take a different angle at it. So that kind of brings me to my, actually, I guess, I guess it's, it's for you, your, your literal and your figurative bookends, because you've written a book on BIM and you've written a book on startups. So, and with several years in between, so, so start with, with the BIM book. So what, what, you know, why, why a BIM book at that time? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, at the time, um, you know, I was very close to um, the late Chuck Eastman at Georgia Tech and kind of a mentor. And um, I started seeing all the BIM books out there were for BIM people, i.e. like technical people. And I saw it over and over in my work with GSA and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and other large owners that it's like BIM was being reserved for the nerds in the industry. And there wasn't a place for business people or non-technical people to understand BIM. And so my, my book was highly focused at owners and developers uh, and what they needed to understand, how they needed to educate themselves. So, you know, I figured there was plenty of tips and tricks around BIM and parametric this and, you know, all that stuff. But what was the, what was the opportunity for a business person to understand BIM. So that's why my book is very focused on that. There are no tips you, and tricks. You gave them, well, you gave them the decoder ring, I guess. <laughs> and then, so what prompted what you know about startups is wrong? Because I, I think you're right in that as well. And I, and I agree with the stance of the book, but I'd love for you to share the motivation behind it. Yeah, so the motivation was, um, uh, my, my dad passed away when I was 15. So I always kind of live with that that in my head, right? And my boys who are now 20 and, nine, 20 and 18 now, um, when I wrote the book seven years ago or six years ago now, uh, when I started actually writing it, it was really meant to be kind of a journal for them, like lessons that I learned. Because one thing is I haven't had like a W-2 job since my engineering job. Like I haven't had like a job for a long time. It's funny, I've never had a resume, right? It's like weird things about... And my kids growing up around that, it was always weird to them. Like, what does your dad do for a living? Like, they didn't know what to say. 
right? It was always like, well, we're not sure. Um, and, you know, it was hard for them a lot of times. We've been gone all the time and what, what does that do? And uh, ebbs and flows of income and all those things. And so I really wrote, started writing it as kind of a journal for them when they got older to see like, you know, your dad might've been a little bit crazy, but there was actually, here's the background of the crazy that you saw. Um, and so I showed it to a friend of mine, dear friend of mine in, in, um, that I help with, you know, diversity and inclusion initiative. She's in PR, she's a dear friend. And I was like, hey, like, take a look at this. Like being a little bit vulnerable, I was like, take a look at this. She's like, oh my gosh, you've got to turn this into a book. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm not putting this out there. This is for my kids. I'm not going to like <laughs> share this with people. Um, and she finally convinced me. And it, and it started, for me, it was um, at that time that I was like writing it, the, the, the startup hustle, right? All the memes, all the Instagram posts about startup hustle and this and that. It was like getting really, really big. Everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, everybody thought, the world was Shark Tank, you know, and I really started, um, I don't know if it was an actual thing or I just saw the pattern, like, oh my God, people need this book. And it's really not typically what people think it is. They think it's like tips and tricks. Once again, I'm not great at those books. The internet's very good at tips and tricks. You don't need me for that. But it's pretty much just my life stories of different things, including almost dying on a flight and just lots of stuff. And it's almost the under, you know, what I tell people is being an entrepreneur, it is a bell that cannot be un unrung. Like if you're going to quit your day job and go to a startup, you might tell yourself, you might tell your significant other that, oh, like if it doesn't work out, I'll just go get a job. That's a big lie. Like you never will. And even if you do, you'll do it for a minute. You'll be terrible at it and you'll be miserable at it. So um, I wrote it for people to really understand the personal toll um, and not all the, the, the big, you know, the, the urban legends that people like to talk about, the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs. And I talk about the urban legends behind that, that, you know, that's not most of us. Uh, I started my first company with two credit card cash advances. Uh, I've never taken venture capital, right? So it's, there's people that take it a different path. So, when people hear these urban legends, they really, um, they think that's how it works. And the reality is that's not how it works. So I, I tell people all the time, like, if you're not going to read it, give it to your significant other before they kind of give you permission to take the second mortgage or quit your job or whatever. Let them read it first and see, give them a chance to change their mind. Yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. And, and it's true. It's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's the Instagram world of startups where you just see all the high notes, but you don't realize kind of the shrapnel that goes with really building a company. And I think, you know, your story is remarkable in that you built that company. I mean, very, very quickly from, you know, what was it? Three to 1200. So that's, I think that's a that's a great perspective, and I and I, I love the fact that it was from your from your own kind of personal perspective and and from your journey because I think we all blink and we look at I I, I too have two big hairy man children um, eighteen and twenty also actually nineteen and twenty now, 
And, you know, I look at them and I think, wow, you know, like I did, you, you do there, there, you miss certain times. Right. And, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a trade-off, right. But now hopefully they look to you and they think, wow, that, this is what he did. And this is a, a series of uh, accomplishments that I can aspire to. Yeah. I think my youngest one, I may have missed eight birthdays in a row. Oh no. Has, 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 has he or she forgiven you yet? Yeah, he, well, he actually jokes around now, like, oh, wow, it's weird to have you around for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird, Dad. <laughs> well, but it's good, though. It's good. It's good. They, they eventually, I, I feel they eventually come back and they, they appreciate all the efforts and sacrifices their parents made, ho hopefully. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Feature Construct and BIM Designs sent you. So I'd love to talk about you know, your, your uh, portfolio and, and, and sort of your investment ethos and, and, you know, what excites you in, in some of the companies and, and maybe share some of the successes of your portfolio companies would be great. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I think our investment ethos is all, it's very focused at, to the technical founder. Um, we love technical founders. Some of it's my own roots. Um, our CTO, we've worked together for the last 12 years on various things. And um, he's very, very, um, he's very good and very accomplished. And one of his first companies he worked at was Constructware uh, while he was still in college, right? So he's kind of grew up, grew, grown up similarly in the space. And, you know, we really are looking for highly transformative technology, um, not another Revit plugin, not another whatever, right? We want um, something that will disrupt not a market or a process, but also the technology that is highly disruptive technology. And so that, so a lot of times we see things, we get things that are, oh, great, you built a form. That's cute, but that's not that transformative. Um, and so we're always seeking for that. That's the stuff that we get excited about. Um, and so like one of our portfolio companies, Icon 3D, does 3D printed houses. So, you know, they're solving robotics problems, computer vision problems, material science problems. Um, and we really believe that if you can build companies that are solving deep-rooted technical problems, revenue tends to become irrelevant. And, and I've kind of had a track record of investing in companies that maybe do like a million a year in revenue, maybe, and I sell them for 50 million. Um, and it's because technologists look at it and they go, oh, we have to buy this company. If they become anywhere successful, they're gonna put us out of business. Yeah. Um, and so it's really about that. Yeah, I mean, so our, our investment ethos is very much about tech founders, tech first, um, that you're solving technical problems, just not industry problems. 
Um, and we think that's one of the challenges in this space is almost every startup we see, the founder is from the industry. Right? That's where they're from. Um, and their technical co-founder is maybe mediocre at best. And, it, and it's a real problem. And, you know, I don't know how many companies we, you know, the founder says, oh, I'm solving this construction safety problem. Great. I want to talk to your CTO. Oh, well, we don't have a CTO. We've offshored software development. We've outsourced it. It's like, that's not how you build a company. You don't build a company by outsourcing your company. Right. And it's just, it doesn't work that way. And so um, it, it gets pretty frustrating. You know, I probably talk to 10 to 20 startups a week. Um, we, we have a very different process. Most VCs, you go through an analyst and you like work your way up to the partner. Um, I actually review every website submission myself. And then I pick and choose which ones I like. And me and my CTO do the first call. Um, I don't, I think it's almost disrespectful to a founder to put them in front of a, a young analyst that is, you know, they're asking questions because they're trying to learn, not because they're, you know, they're trying to learn the basics. So I think it's in a world of founders having very limited resources, I think it's pretty disingenuous for VCs to make them meet with the straight out of MBA grad, right? It's that's not really that helpful. It's a waste of their time. So I, I try to meet with everybody first meeting with me. Um, and one of the things that I see is, yep, they understand the problem. They understand the industry. They do not understand technology, nor are they surrounding themselves with people that really understand technology. Yeah, I think that's, that, that is very unusual. And, you know, they're especially in, in Silicon Valley, the, you know, the TV series actually, I think, does as much as it's a comedy, does actually depict the you know the song and dance, uh, you know, the the sandhill shuffle that that people have to go through. So I think that that's a, a very you know honorable and respectful way to deal with founders. And so are you are you getting most of your and again you have to tell tales out of school, but are you getting just most of your um, inbounds just from you know being in the industry and having the reputation that you do, or or are there other ways that founders are, are finding you? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we um, as a civil engineer, I hate even using the word brand. I think it's like a weird thing. You know, like <laughs> it's just a weird thing. Um, and we have kind of built a brand around being super deep in the industry, being very challenging, being very direct. Um, I do interviews with startups. They get 30 minutes. It's not uncommon for me to eat in the call in seven minutes. I don't think I'm doing them a, a service of making them feel good. If it's not a real thing, then it's not a real thing. I'm going to tell them and they can move on with life and they can call me names afterwards. That's fine. But I'm actually doing it to help them so they don't waste their time. Um, and I think we're building a reputation for being very competitive too. Um, we like to win. And if we invest in a company, we put our full energy behind them and we put our full energy around like destroying their competitors too. So it's not like, you know, um, we, we don't mess around with that stuff. We are very much you're on our side of the table or you're an enemy. Uh, and I think it comes through our portfolio companies are just like, wow, like you guys. Um, and so we're just very focused that way. Um, and I think, um, 
that drives inbound. We also, because I've been at it for a long time, a lot of my relationships are with a lot of the larger old school VCs, the mainstream VCs, the Sequoias and NEA and Insights and Kosla and all these folks. Um, and I get a lot of referrals from them because we play pre-seed and seed, right? We, we've in, brought in companies into our incubator that didn't even have a name yet. We help name them. Um, so there's no such thing as too early in our book. Um, and because of that, a lot of the mainstream VCs, they, they run into startups because of their brand. Like everybody wants to meet with Andreessen Horowitz. So we get a ton of referrals from them. And they'll say like, hey, you guys are too early. You need so much more help than money. You need people that understand the industry and they can make it happen. You should go talk to KP. And so we get a lot of inbound uh, from upstream VCs. And I think part of it too is our RLPs are tremendous. Um, and our extended network is tremendous. People ask me like, why are we called Shadow Ventures? And it's like, you kind of don't know everyone that's behind us, but they are very powerful and very influential and they don't like to lose either. They picked our team because they know that um, I am aggressive in the, about pursuing winning, you know? So, um, so yeah, so I think that's what drives a lot of inbound. Just, I had one guy call me the other day, uh, email me. He's like, every VC I've talked to recommended I talk to you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, his startup was not a good idea, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll, listen, maybe he'll come back in two or three years with a new one. Yeah. So are you seeing any particular trends in the industry? And I, you know, I find that AEC is, is interesting in that you have, you know, this sort of faction that even, even I think you mentioned that you said, you know, the, inter the internet is never going to be a thing. And there's this sort of arcane systems that, you know, people are clinging to, but then there's another side where there's some really incredible new technologies coming out and, and actually, um, you know, being embraced. And so where are you seeing the, the sort of next trends and where should, I don't know if I'm a, you know, a, a huge commercial builder, where, where should I be looking for, you know, this kind of next, next level technology? Yeah, I think, what, so one of the things that, um, it's pretty interesting, I wrote a BIM book, and therefore we get a lot of BIM deals, right? And I have to remind people, the BIM market is tiny. It is a niche of a niche of a niche market. And there is no addressable market there that is venture fundable, unless you are ready to destroy Autodesk. And I'm, I'm game for that too, right? So if you're willing to step up and say Revit is terrible, it's a disservice to the entire industry, it has held the entire industry back for the last five years in terms of innovation, let's go destroy Revit. We, we'd be thrilled to go be on that, you know, be on that team. But outside of that, everyone's hanging features off of a product that that's not theirs. And so what we really have been seeing, like where, where things are starting to shift and people are trying to think about it. Um, I was talking to some investors, some of our investors, and they joke around that they have a whole group that meets up and they call it AA and it's Autodesk Anonymous. And they're like, <laughs> we are actively having monthly calls to get out of our relationship with Autodesk, to move off of Revit, to do something different. And we're done with them. And we're doing it quietly because they're mean and they're, you know, they'll up our license, like they don't care about their community. 
Um, I mean, and I'm sure you've probably seen the open letter to Autodesk and then Andrew responded and it's all cute. Um, but I think the big trend now we're seeing is we don't want to play ball with the incumbent software companies. And it's whether it's Autodesk, Bentley, you know, on the property management side, you have the real pages and yardies. Like every, every segment of our industry has the incumbent software company that's just absolutely doing a disservice, doing a disservice to the industry. All right. So that is a note to any startups out there. So the one who says challenge accepted, I think KP will actually take your call. <laughs> well, there's definitely something about in order to win, someone must lose. That is just how that works. That is just how that works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was marveled, you know, you're like my, my kids kind of grew up at that. Everybody gets a trophy age. And I was just fundamentally, again, I stood, I stood by myself as one of the lone moms who was like, no, we shouldn't be giving everyone a trophy, but it's the yeah, same, I gave my kids same psychology. Play, yeah. My kids played soccer. I gave them $50 for every yellow card they got. I used to, I used to actually pay my, my children for goals. And I also was ostracized for that. I'm like, this is your job. <laughs> so if you do your job, I, I, was like, well. I was like, yellow cards are good. Red cards are bad. But if you're not getting a yellow card, you are not testing the boundaries and pushing yourself hard enough to get one. That, that you means go. you're pushing hard enough. Okay. I feel like there's, um, Maybe we should co-author like a you know a sports parenting book next. <laughs> like what you know about parenting, sports parenting is wrong. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna ask you the question that I ask everyone on the show, which is that if you could project yourself, you know, 15, 20 years into the future, and you could bring with you, you know, a service or a gadget, it doesn't have to be based in reality at all. What would it be and what would it do? Yeah, I think. As I've gotten older, um, if there was a device that would allow me to not just remember my experiences, but experience my experiences, that would be fabulous. I feel like every year, I turned 50 this year, so my, my, my family is like, you're acting a lot older than you, like you're acting like you're turned 80 or something. So I, I think it gets hard. You know, I, we work a lot. We move a lot. There's just a lot going on. And you don't get to relish all the wins and any of it. Sometimes you just keep moving. Um, and I think it's almost like, how do you, you know, at some point in the future, how do I look back and actually um, go back and experience those experiences? I think that's great. And I think, I think, I think that there's technology that's early today that will enable that in the near future. So you may get your wish. Yeah. Well, KP, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Good talking to you.